I didn't expect this many people back. Um, <laughs> two weeks ago, um, I talked about being lukewarm. You guys remember that? <laughs> it, it just, it's, it's, been, it's been so interesting these last couple of weeks. What, what an absolute blast. My life is such a joke. It's just so funny. Man, I've gotten like the most encouraging notes in the world. Like, I, I mean, I, I tell people, I go, if you read all the encouraging notes I get in a year, your head would get so big. And yet, if you read all the hate mail, <laughs> you'd want to kill yourself. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and it, it, I got so many just notes, like wonderful notes of people just going, man, that, that was life changing. That was the greatest message I ever heard to honestly things written like it's time for you to leave town. You know, you've lost it. You know, quote unquote, move to India, get out of see me about, you know, whatever, just the the craziest things and it's like man it's like these extremes where i'm just going wow this is cool it, it my my there's not there's not a boring day in my life you know but but the 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 whole med, the thing that was so encouraging though was the question that i was asked over and over and over again by you guys and then i'm hearing through the grapevine people keep asking our pastors is what should i do you know I had people say, man, it was like you stuck a dagger in my gut and I just was like, oh, you're absolutely right. That is, that's what the word says. So what do I need to do? Do I need to sell my house? Do I need to quit my job? Just tell me what to do. What do I do? And, and hearing that over and over again, you know how encouraging that is because, man, when you read Acts chapter 2, Peter, it felt so much like the early church, which is everything we're after here, right? It's like, let's get back to the way it was. And you see in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon. But do you remember what the people say in verse 37? It says, when the people heard this, it says, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay, and, and so it was just this idea of like, oh, I feel like you just stuck a knife in my heart, but now you got to tell me what to do because I will do anything. And people are just going, whatever, 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 just telling me what to do. And the more I heard, I go, wow, this is so cool. This is exactly the way the church is supposed to respond. But you got to understand that it would be wrong for me to answer that question. What do you do? It would be wrong for me to lay out, well, if you don't want to be lukewarm, then here are the things you do and list them out. First, sell your house, then quit your job, then do this, then do that. You know, that's not for me to say. It's hard enough for me to figure out God's will for my own life and for me to tell you what he's telling you to do because it's going to look different for each one of us. It's going to look completely different. Some of you go, man, should I sell your house? I don't know, maybe. For some of you, though, I, I think you're supposed to expand your house and bring in more people. You know, I don't know. I don't know what God is calling you specifically to do. Some people go, you know, I'm going to quit my job because it's not doing anything for the kingdom. It, it's, it's uh, you know, I don't, I don't interact with people. I'm not witnessing to people. I'm not being a light there, you know. And then I had another guy call me and go, you know what? I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to work harder at my job. In fact, I, I believe God has called me to make an absolute fortune. I believe God has given me a gift to make money and I'm supposed to make a ton of it and give it all away. And I go, that sounds good. 
That's, that's great, you know, give to the poor. You've been given this ability. And he goes, you know what, for me to be a good steward, I need to work harder at my job. I need to make a lot more money. I have the ability to make, I mean, he can make millions of dollars and go, you know what, I can do that. I believe that's what I'm supposed to do. And I go, you know what, sounds good to me. If I were in your shoes, maybe I'd probably do the same thing. But I can't tell you step by step, do this, do this, do this, because it's going to look different from all of us. As long as you are praying it through, as long as you are really searching your own heart and going, okay, God, I want to do, because Jesus said, this Christianity thing, following me is simple. Love God. With all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Period. That's it. That sums up everything. And so when you make your decisions, go, okay, what is the most loving thing I could do in the sight of God and for other people? That's all. And it's going to look different for you than it will for me. What's the most loving thing you can do? If you're making your decisions based upon what's most loving, not, not based upon your own desires or whatever, but based upon what's most loving. It's like, I love God. And so I'm going to do this. And so I drive what I drive because I believe it's what God would want me to drive. I live where I live because I believe it's where God wants me to live. I, I prayed it through and I, I don't think I'm, I'm fudging here. I don't think it's me. It's just, this is how I can love God. This is how I can love people. And so how you do that as long as you've prayed through it, you know, and, and you know, you know what, I'm doing this for God, I'm doing this for other people, you know, because I love other people, then do it. But it's going to look different for everyone. Um, another question that people ask this week. Why is it that some churches I go to, I always leave happy? <laughs> you know what the rest of the question is? <laughs> Well, when I go to Cornerstone, it's like 50-50, you know. Sometimes I'm like, woo! Sometimes I'm like, oh, you know. And, and uh, you know, I've got notes and people saying, you know what, I'm done with this church. You know, there's this other one where I leave happy every time. And people are burdened because they go, man, my friend left the church because he just, he wants to leave happy every time. And, uh, you guys, the, the answer of why you don't always leave happy here and I don't always leave happy here is that because we teach this whole book, okay? And there are passages... There are, there are certainly passages where you just go, man, I am just so pumped up, so fired up. And there's other passages when you go, ooh, I don't match up to that. Gosh, I, I get convicted. I need to change. The Bible talks about how this book is, is, is to encourage, but it's also to exhort and to rebuke. And it's both. And there's some passages, and we're not going to skip any passage. I mean, how do you preach Revelation 3 in the lukewarm church and make it a happy message? You know, it's like, ooh, he's going to spit you out. Let's all spit. You know, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's just, wow. The, Jesus says right there, man, this is, I'm rebuking you right now. He says, this is a rebuke. He goes, because I love you. I love you enough to say the hard things. That's what a parent does. That's what a loving father does. You love enough to say the hard things and hurt sometimes. When Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, he writes a second letter and goes, man, I could tell by that first one, I really grieved you. I made you sad. And he goes, but I don't feel bad about it. He says in St. Corinthians, I don't feel bad. He goes, because if you're godly, he goes, godly sorrow leads to repentance. It's when you're sad in a godly way, it leads you to change and it, it brings you to this joy. And um, uh, I, I think about um, Jesus. I, I, I mean, okay, because some people that 
people are still like, the jury's out, like, but you don't believe me, like, why I left this summer, of, of just really, I wanted to just find out what does God want for the church, what does he want for my life, and things were so good. It was not that I was burned out. Usually a pastor takes some time off because he's burned out. I wasn't burned out. Things were going so good that it scared me. Because I kept asking myself, would Jesus be this popular? If Jesus had a church in Simi Valley, how many people would go to it? If the Apostle Paul had a church in Simi Valley, how many people would go to it? And it, it was almost the opposite. Like, God, it just seems a little too popular here. And, and I even talked to my wife about it. I go, yeah, you know, sometimes I, I get concerned because Luke 6, 26 says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Because you better be careful when everyone's speaking well of you because that's the way they treated the false prophets. See, the only person, the only people that can please everyone are the false teachers. You just say what people want to hear, and then they'll just keep coming and keep loving you. He goes, but if you lay it out, the, the, the ones, he goes, that, that lay it out, you know what? They're not going to be accepted by everyone. Jesus, when he preached, people were leaving constantly. And so when you go, oh no, people are leaving, that's not always bad. That's not always the, the wrong thing. In fact, I get concerned when people don't leave. I get concerned when it becomes too popular. Man, I get some of the notes this week that were filled with just venom, and I'm like, oh, good. Woo! You know, I, I'm not a false prophet. <laughs> you do hate me. You know, it's just, there is, it's like this sick side of, man, Jesus wasn't popular. And he says in John 15, I think verse 18, he goes, man, when people hate you, keep in mind they hated me first. You know, if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. There's got to be some of that in our lives. Otherwise, we're just going around pleasing people. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, he says to this young pastor. He says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. He says, there's going to come a day. He goes, Timothy, you just keep laying it out there. Okay, just lay it out there. Encourage, rebuke, do whatever you need to do. Be patient, just, but say it all. He goes, and understand there's going to come a day when people will not put up with that type of teaching. Instead, they're going to leave and they're going to find teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. Not what they need to hear, but what they want to hear. And he says, so just be ready for that. He goes, at the end times, it's not going to be popular. People are going to be about themselves. They're going to love themselves and they're going to want to just hear what they want to hear. They'll only, they'll only listen to messages that they agree with. See, that's the hard thing about this book is that there are many things I read here and I go, I don't think that way. That doesn't agree with what Francis Chan would come up with. And, and at that point, you decide, okay, then am I going to be my own God and make the scripture submit to me and I'll only accept the parts that I agree with? Or do you put yourself under and go, well, I think this, this says this, I'm going to go with that. 
And I'm going to go uh, along with what that says, even though it doesn't sit well with me, doesn't fit with me. Otherwise, you're not really submitting to God. You're just saying, well, I'll only submit to God so long as he agrees with me. And then who really is God at that point? You know, and, and so Paul tells Timothy, look, you've got to lay it out. You've got to say what needs to be said. Um, so I, I, you know, after looking back at my notes, you know, you just want to make sure and everything else. I look back at everything I said. I don't take back a single word, not one word of what I said two weeks ago. In fact, I have something to add to it. Okay. And um, no, no, no. But, but listen, it's, it's because I do believe the call to follow Jesus is a call to give up everything. You give it all up. But what I want to add to it is you give it all up and you have to be happy about it. Okay? I I believe this is biblical. Is not only do you have to give up everything for the sake of the gospel and just go, you know what, I don't care. It's all, I, I, you can have it all, God. I don't care. You have to get to that point. But not only that, but you have to be happy about this decision. There has to be a joyful giving away. You have to understand that you are getting the better end of the deal. Okay? I, I believe I can support this biblically. Um, I mean, after all, even the passages I used that week, did the people leave bummed out? Did the, the guy who found the treasure in the field, I mean, what's the kingdom of God like? A guy who finds a treasure in a field, right? And going, man, look at this amazing treasure. Did he leave sad? Did he go and sell all of his possessions and go, all right, I'll sell them? No, it says with great joy. With great joy. He goes, man, are you kidding me? I can have that. Yeah, you can have it all. I don't care. Take it all. Did Zacchaeus leave bummed out? No, he didn't leave bummed out. He jumps out of the tree and goes, man, give half of everything I own to the poor. And with the rest of the money, let me pay back everyone I ripped off. I'll give you four times whatever I took from you. Here, take it, take it, take it. Because I have God now. It was this joy in finding God. It's this treasure. That's what I was getting across with the whole lukewarm passage. He says, man, if you overcome, you can sit on my throne. And then we read about the throne. We go, okay, you know what? I'm convinced. You, you can have it all. There needs to be joy. The only person, there was only one person I talked about last week that left sad. Who was that? The rich young ruler, right? When God says, give it all away. And he goes, oh, but I'm rich. I, you understand how much I have? And he just walks away because he had so much wealth. He's just going, man, I don't know. See, that's a picture of a person who doesn't get it. The guy that walks away bummed out is the one who has taken his eyes off the treasure and doesn't realize what he's getting for what he's sacrificing. You know, I I was trying to think, okay, because our problem, because we we all get sucked into this world, right? We all get tempted by things. The, The problem is we take our eyes off of the treasure. The moment we take our eyes off of the treasure and what we're getting, that's the only way we can get bummed out. Because we, we just stare at what we're giving up. And if you really looked at what we're getting, you'd go, oh, yeah, 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 I forget. Yeah, I don't care about that stuff. We take our eyes off of the prize. And I was trying to think, okay, how do I, again, just get us to understand what we're getting out of this deal of surrendering to God? And what is the best way to communicate it? And I, I thought, you know, I don't know if you remember like a year ago, a year ago, I gave a message, and in it, I, I showed a presentation of, of the earth and what it would look like if we pulled further and further away from the earth. And I watch that video every once in a while, man, because it just does my soul so much good to just back up and go, oh, that's right. 
I know the God of the universe. You know, and I watched that video and, uh, and I thought, you know, I want to show it again this weekend just to remind us of, okay, here we are on the earth and here's the creator of it all and we can sit on his throne. And so it's just something I found on a Macintosh program called Starry Night Pro and kind of tweaked it myself so we can, I could narrate it and show what you see as you pull away from the earth and give us a picture of the universe. And it just helps us to remind us. It helps to remind us who we are and who God is and the prize that we get. So if you guys would just watch the screens. So look at the screen. I'm going to explain what, what, what you're seeing right now. First of all, this is the earth. Okay, just, just, you're taken off from the earth from Southern California and we're going we're gonna to rise up for a little bit here. Okay, we're going to pull away from it. We're going to pull higher. Now this is at about 10 kilometers. Like if you climb Mount Everest, this is what you'd see. You'd see the curvature of the earth from that distance. Now you're gonna, we're going to climb up even higher. This is at 100 kilometers. And you're a fourth of the way to the space station now. This is what you'd see. If you get to this level, you're considered an astronaut. Just if you ever get there. Okay, now we're going 100,000 kilometers. 100,000 kilometers from the Earth. You're a fourth of the way to the moon. That's what the Earth would look like. Now we're going to pull away to a million kilometers. At a million kilometers, there's the moon. Okay? There's the moon. You can barely see the Earth. You're at a million kilometers now. You're past the past the moon and uh, now we're going to go to a hundred million kilometers a hundred million kilometers you're still not to the sun the sun's 93 million miles away but now we're going to go to 10 trillion kilometers there's the sun okay you just passed the sun now you would see all of the planets at 10 trillion kilometers and now we're at 10 to the 15th power that means 10 with 15 zeros i don't know what that number is 15 zeros, and the sun's just like a bright dot amidst other stars. And now we're going to 10 light years away. At 10 light years away, come on, let's go. Zoom, there you go. 10 light years away. Now you just see the sun with like 11 other stars that are kind of its neighbors. You know, that, 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 that's our sun. And now we're going to go 1,000 light years away. At a thousand light years away, you, you wouldn't even see our sun anymore. These are just a bunch of stars close to it in this cluster inside the Milky Way. Now we're going to zoom out even further, and that's the Milky Way we live in. See that cluster of stars? Those are about a hundred thousand stars that are closest to our sun. You can't see our sun anymore at this point. Now this is our Milky Way galaxy, and forget about the Earth. Okay, there's our Milky Way galaxy that we live in, um, and we're just buried in there somewhere. And we're going to pull out even further. And you'll see that our galaxy is actually, it's, it's a big galaxy. And, uh, and all those other things you're seeing now are galaxies. And we're going to pull away 10 million light years now. His next scene is 10 million light years. Those are all galaxies you see amidst our Milky Way, several hundred galaxies. Now we're going to go 100 million light years away. This is the last one. We're going to zoom out to 100 million light years. Those are all clusters of galaxies. Galaxies and clusters of galaxies. You won't even see our Milky Way galaxy anymore amidst that. It's always just so humbling, you know, just to go... How often I wake up in the morning and think that I'm so significant or, you know, like... 
I've got so much to give up. And, you know, and you, you look at that and go, wow, I can know the creator of all of that. I can sit on the throne with him. You see, if you walk away sad going, yeah, but I have a neat car. I, I just go, <laughs> man, you didn't get it. You, you didn't you didn't quite get it. You know, when you, when you just look at your stuff and what you have and you're bummed out like the rich young ruler, I'm going, you somehow are not seeing the prize. You, you don't get the treasure. Because those who get the treasure are so fired up that they could care less about this stuff. I, I, I had, I've had people leave the church and say, well, you know, Francis says it's not okay for me to get a Porsche. I'm like, I never said that. I'm just going, why do you care? You got the God of the universe. Invite whatever you want. I don't care. Drive whatever you want. Live wherever you want. I'm just going, man, if you get that, if you keep your eyes on the prize, on, 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 on God himself and sitting on the throne and the creator, you just realize, man, I could see why he'd be disgusted with me comparing him to anything on this earth or for me to treasure things on this planet. I want the eternal rewards. You know, God wants us not only to give everything up, but to be happy about it. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? And anyone who comes to Him must believe what? That He exists, and what else? And that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That's very important. God says without faith, it's impossible to please him. Like, like you, obviously, you, you can't come to him without believing that he exists. But he also says, I don't want you coming to me unless you also believe that I'm a rewarder of those who earnestly seek me. Because I don't want you coming to me unless you really believe that you're getting the better end of the deal. And then I'm the one that's rewarding you. I don't want you coming here all bummed out like, oh, okay, I'll follow you. I'll be your servant. I guess I have to. He goes, then don't even bother. He goes, you only come to me. I will only let you come to me if you believe that I reward those who earnestly seek me. Those who not casually seek me, not those who in a lukewarm way seek me, but those who earnestly, passionately seek after me. If I am sought after and you believe that it's for your good and that I am the rewarder, then come to me. That's what faith is. You, you can't come bummed out. It's necessary. It, it, it's, it's like uh, if I said, um, hey, you guys, I, I need someone to come wash my car once a week. Um, actually, both of my cars, you know, my wife's van and my car. There'd probably be some people here that would do it, you know, go, all right, fine, whatever, you're the pastor, we'll serve you. Um, <laughs> but then if I said, I'll pay you a thousand bucks every time you wash my car, that's like, okay, okay, you know, suddenly it's a joy, right? Why? Because suddenly you're not the giver anymore, right? Suddenly I'm the giver. And you're the one that's being rewarded. God says, if you come to me, I don't want you to come like, fine, I'll serve you. You need to come going, oh, no, no, you're the giver. You're the rewarder. God God wants that glory for himself. He is the only giver in this room. Okay, you guys, we're not givers. We're not giving to God. When we took that offering, it wasn't really us giving him anything. Every time we give, we get the better end of the deal. You see, uh, you know, we're, we're starting the book of James. I'm just preaching the first verse this week, and then Todd's going to take, you know, the next section, and we're just going to go back and forth. 
But the first verse of James, James starts out in James 1.1, he says, James, a servant or a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. First thing James, James calls himself when he introduces himself as he's writing this letter, he goes, I'm James, I'm a slave. Okay, when you hear that, that's a negative term, isn't it? I mean, when you think about slavery, immediately negative thoughts come to your mind. The moment we hear slavery, there's like this boom, oh, automatic, like, ah, oh, this awful thought of a slave. I don't want to be a slave. I don't want to be a slave. I don't want to be a servant. But James, that's how he introduces himself. But here's my question. I understand that slavery to me has a negative connotation. But can slavery ever be a good thing? Is slavery ever a good thing? Ever? Yeah. Yeah, if you got a good master. Yeah. If you got a good master. You see, because in the Old Testament even, there were times when someone was working for someone, he was his servant, and then he paid off his debt, what he owed the master. And so the master would say, okay, you paid your debt, you're free, go. Every once in a while, there'd be a slave that would go, no way, I'm not leaving. There's no way I'm leaving. This is the greatest situation in the world. I, I, I am better under you than off on my I don't want to be free. I'd rather be under you. you, you you're, you're just wiser. You take care of me. You're, you treat me so well. I don't want to go. And, and so they would become what's called a bond servant. Meaning you chose to surrender. You chose to give your whole life to this person. It was your decision. You chose to do it. And what they would do is they would go out and they would get this sharp metal object and just stab a hole through their ear. I mean, some of you guys do that for fun. But, you know, he just, uh, he, they would do it as, as his proof, this sign. Like, man, I am his servant. I have chosen this. I want to be his servant for the rest of my life because there's nowhere, nowhere else I'd rather be. I can't imagine finding a better master. I can't imagine life being better without you. He chose to be the servant. And that's the word that James uses here. He goes, I'm a bond servant of God. Man, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. I've got the greatest master in the world. I'm his bond servant and, uh, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, man, I, I hope that that's the way you feel about yourself. You know, I, I love um, the picture in John 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus is preaching, and the Bible says to thousands of people. He's preaching to thousands of people, and by the end of his message, all of them desert him except for 12. And then he looks at the 12, and he goes, you guys want to go too? You guys want to leave too? You're free to leave. He looks at the 12 and goes, you can go also. And Peter's response to Jesus where are we going to go? You've got the keys to eternal life. I'm not leaving you. Man, this is the greatest deal in the world. I mean, this is this is a little thing on earth. I'm going to follow you. Uh, where else would I go? You've got the keys to eternal life. I get rewarded with eternal life. I'm not going anywhere. And he chooses to follow. And that's the way we ought to be. We should just look at our lives and go, man, it, I'd be crazy to walk away from God. Because I understand what I'm getting. I'm looking at the prize. I'm not looking at what I give up. Because when I look at the prize, the things that I give up suddenly just seem so silly compared to him. But we take our eyes off of that too often, don't we? 
We start looking at stuff. But James, a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He writes, this letter that we're about to study over the next couple months is, it's a letter that's written by James, servant of God, to these 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. What's he talking about? Whenever the Bible talks about the 12 tribes, who's it referring to? Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. It's talking about the the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. It was talking about these Jewish believers that were living there in Jerusalem. They saw, they witnessed the resurrection. They saw the death of Christ and they, they were just sold out. They were followers. It was that Acts 2 crowd that just 3,000 just ran down in the water. Okay, what do we do? Okay, get baptized. I'll get baptized. What else now? What, these are these believers. Well, what happens is in, in Acts uh, chapter 7, you see the persecution begin to arise. And suddenly these Jewish believers are being persecuted. In chapter 7, you, you read about the stoning of Stephen. One of the leaders, suddenly, they watch one of the leaders get stoned to death. So then if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1, and, and you remember who, who led that whole persecution, right? Saul. Saul was there, and, and you see that in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. But read with me. Acts 8 verse 1 says this. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Okay, so you see these people were scattered everywhere. Why? Because the persecution was so great. And so James then writes this letter. And he says, look, I'm writing to these 12 tribes who have been scattered all around the nations. But what happened when these 12 tribes were scattered all around the nations in Acts 8? Verse 4, it says they went and they preached the good news wherever they went. You see how God used the persecution to actually spread the good news of man's forgiveness. Of what he did on the cross for them. Of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God used that for that. And so James is saying, okay, let me write this letter to all of these people that have been scattered everywhere. Okay, and, and remember that these people, they've seen, they watched Stephen die. They watched probably others die. They've seen their friends, their relatives being drugged off into prison and they're running for their lives. But as they're running for their lives, they're telling people about Jesus. Now, if you were going to write a letter and have it circulate to all those people who've been scattered everywhere, what's the first thing you would say to them? Try, try to think, if you, you were writing to these people who have just gone through so much pain and they had to run from their lives, flee their homes, I personally, I'd probably write something like, I'm sorry. I, that, that's got to be so tough. I can't imagine what you're going through. That's just normally what I feel when someone goes through pain. Well, James, the first word that he really says to them in verse 1 is the word greetings. Now, when we hear the word greetings, we think, oh, he said hi. No, the root of the word greetings, if you read the word in the Greek, it's the same word as the word joy. 
So James, the servant of God to these 12 tribes that just lost their homes, have been scattered and, and they're in these unknown lands, but you're preaching the gospel. First thing I have to say to you is joy. Joyful greetings. And then he goes on in the next passage, which Todd's going to cover next week, that, that talks about why you can have joy in such a difficult time. But the first word, the first thing out of his mouth is joy. You can have joy in this. Why can they have joy? Why is it they can have joy in trials? Based upon what I'm saying this week, it's because you always get the better end of the deal. You always get the better end of the deal. Second Corinthians chapter 4, if you have your Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 4, I, I love this. I love this verse. Second Corinthians 4 verse 17. We'll start at 16. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Key is verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. He, he says, you, you know, I know there are times when it's tough. He goes, but he goes, our light and momentary troubles. OK, sometimes our troubles don't feel so light, do they? Sometimes we feel like the whole world is just crashing down and everything is falling apart. And yet the Bible says, no, no, no. I don't care what you're going through. It's light. It's light and it's momentary if you compare it to the eternal glory that you're going to receive and you're achieving for yourself. Because this far outweighs, according to verse 17, this far, far outweighs, the reward far outweighs whatever you're going through. See, don't, don't make yourself out to be the giver. Don't make yourself out to be the martyr, the poor me. Because he's saying, you know what? This is nothing compared to what you're going to get for this. I understand it's hard. But compared to the reward, this is nothing. This is light. This is momentary. So you've got to keep your eyes not on what you can see, but on the unseen. See, for some of you, your, your troubles, I know they seem difficult. Maybe you're in a difficult marriage. But the Bible says, you know what? If you love, you love through this, you stick it out and you fight for that thing, you know what? That's going to be nothing compared to the reward you're going to get. Okay, you're getting the better end of the deal here. I understand there are going to be times when, you know what, just by, by, by fighting your sin, you know what, it's, it's, it's hard, it's difficult, but nothing compared to the reward you're going to get. I know sometimes it's embarrassing to tell people about Jesus and tell them your faith, and I know it's awkward, I know it's uncomfortable, and I know sometimes you get rejected, but that's nothing compared to the reward you're going to receive. It's light, it's momentary compared to the eternal glory, the forever glory that far outweighs it, and you're going to see that. You're going to see in the end that your reward is so much greater than what you had to put up with. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. I like this passage. Luke 6, verses 22 and 23. I don't know how you can say it more clearly. It's, it, it's so opposite, so contrary to what we normally hear. But Luke 6, 22 says this. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. 
Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the the, the true prophets. He says, if people are insulting you for what you believe, if people exclude you from their parties, going, man, you know, I don't want to be that little goody-goody, you know, whatever. I don't want this. I don't want that. They insult you. They mock you. They think you're crazy for giving as much as you do or serving as much as you do or living for this God, staying as pure as you are. He says, you know what? When they insult you, put you down, you should leap for joy. <laughs> you, would be, you should be like, yeah, did you hear that? I can't wait to see the reward for this one. He says, because, he goes, that's the way in the Old Testament they treated the prophets, the real prophets. See, the false prophets everyone loved. The true prophets, man, they, they had to, they faced a lot of hatred. And he goes, understand that, man, that means you're being a real prophet. You're, you're being like those saints in the Bible. And you know the reward that's up there for them? He goes, you should be leaping for joy when you hear those insults. And one last passage, if you turn over to Luke 18. This is what we looked at last week, but I want to point something out to you. This is when uh, when Jesus tells that rich young ruler to give everything up, right? Rich young ruler walks away sad because he doesn't, doesn't uh, have, or he has so much. But right after that, Peter, in verse 28, Peter says to Jesus, he goes, we have left all we had to follow you. So Peter goes, we did it. We left everything we had to follow you. And so Jesus says to Peter, he goes, I tell you the truth. Jesus said to them, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Okay, I I don't quite know the tone you know and you can't tell how it was in my mind i picture peter being proud you know because we see that you know in the early stages of of who he was i I see him going yeah that guy couldn't do it but look at us we did it we gave everything up look at us we've got nothing we literally sold everything we gave everything away to follow you we did it and it's almost like he's expecting Jesus to pat him on the back and go, good job, man. I knew you guys could do it. I knew you were with me. But Jesus kind of stops him and goes, whoa, 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 Okay, wait a second here. You're not the martyr giving everything up. Whatever you've given up, you're going to receive a reward for. Okay? You're getting, you're getting the better end of the deal here, buddy. Don't, don't go telling me how much you gave up because whatever you've given up, I'm going to reward you so many times the amount of what you gave up here in this life and the life to come. Why? Because I am always the giver. You know? See, here's, here's the thing. is I, This is a very important message to me because for many years, and, and many of the years that I, I've been your pastor, um, I, I did a lot of things out of guilt. First few years here at the church, I did a lot of things out of guilt. I did a lot of things that uh, I felt like I was just sacrificing, sacrificing, and giving, and giving, giving to the church. And I realized at some point, you know what? I'm actually getting all the glory, and it's actually bringing shame upon God. Let me explain why. When I go, when I say, oh man, my life is tough. Man, to put up with all of you, 
to um, sacrifice. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm Asian. I should be making a million dollars a year. You know, I, 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 I got that mind. I should be owning all sorts of things, but I gave it all up to pastor here, you know, and, and it's, it's not easy. I put in long hours. I do this. I do that. And, and, and all for the kingdom. But I'm going to do it. You know, who gets all the glory in that? It's right here. Look what I do. Look at what I give up. Look at what I'm sacrificing. God, look at what, look at how I'm repaying you for the cross. Look at what I'm doing for you. It's all me, me, me. But what, when I just look at the prize and it's just like, <laughs> man, I got the greatest job in the world. Man, you have the greatest job in the world. Man, we are the, we are the most fortunate people on the earth because it's like, man, every time I suffer, I can leap for joy. It's weird, but I actually get excited, you know, about negative. I get excited when people put me down because I know what I'm getting. It's like every time it's like, yeah, 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 tell me more, tell me more. Okay, you know, it's, it's just like, man, everything that happens, everything that I give is for my advantage. Because God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. Because He is the giver. He doesn't need to be served by me. He wants to show off how much He's going to reward me. That's why He wants me to serve Him. is so that one day He can show off, look how much I reward the people who serve me. You know, I'm always the recipient. Now when I do that, you know, and, and I talk about this God who's constantly giving to me and brought me so much joy, where does all the glory go? Suddenly it's to Him. It's like, Really? He gives you that much joy and he's got so much in the future stored up for you. I want some of that action. I want to I want to be under him. I, I want some of your God. Suddenly that God becomes attractive and he gets the glory. But when we walk around acting as though we are the givers, you guys, we are never the givers ever. We're always the recipients. God is always the rewarder. And every time you sacrifice or give anything, it's nothing compared to what you get. So you're not a giver. You aren't. He is always the rewarder. And so we leave with joy because our eyes are on the prize. And we go, oh man, I give it all up. Because look what I'm getting compared to the light and momentary troubles. You guys, I I love what God has done in my life. I love what I do. I love what God's done in so many of your lives. Those of you that are on fire, um, the transformation that takes place. I, I was um, yesterday. I was in the Bay Area speaking at a pastors' conference, and and one of the guys that spoke before me, man, I just wanted to cry when he was done. It was just so awesome what God did for him. He he grew up. He was he was homosexual. He had all these homosexual friends. They. Uh, you know, they ended up going to a homosexual church, you know, and then uh, his friends got married. These two guys got married to each other and you know, in this church They said, hey, everything goes. And uh, and then he went off, joined the Navy and then did all this other stuff, just crazy stuff. He lived two years as a woman, you know, and showed us pictures. A good looking woman, you know, it was like, <laughs> wow, you're kidding me, you know, and uh, just the full thing for two years. And then. And then something weird happened. His two friends that were going to that church said they started studying the Bible for themselves. And they got so convicted when they read the Bible for themselves, not what their church taught them. And they realized their lifestyle wasn't pleasing to God. And the two of them decided to part. 
and both start following God and they write this guy a letter going, yeah, now we're praying for you. You know, and this guy, you know, it's just, just this story of how God just got a hold of his life and turned him around. And now he's been, you know, married for 20 years as, you know, teenage girl, just traveling and just talking about, you know, God didn't take away all the urges, all the temptations, everything else. He goes, I still, you know, have these fights and everything else. He goes, I tried that prayer of God, take it away if it's not your will. And I still felt the same way. He goes, but it didn't matter. You know, I looked at scripture and said, no, this is the truth. And so there's certain things I give up, but I gladly give up. And I, I just, you're just listening to this guy. He was all done. And I just, I just, I'm just sat there going, God, you're so good. You, you can turn anyone or you, you, there's no one that's out of your reach. There, there's no one. I mean, and, and, you know, and as we, you know, ever at the end of service, as we're going to worship a little bit, we, we offer baptism. And, and I hear people go, well, I'm not ready to get baptized yet because there's still more I need to do. You know, I still want to get to this point before I get baptized. And, and there's still things in my life. And, I, and I'm going, man, you understand it's all about you, isn't it? That once you do enough, then you earn the right to get baptized. And then maybe you'll do a little bit more and you can even earn heaven. You see, that's all about you, isn't it? That's not the deal. The deal is, is God says anyone can come to me. I don't care what you've done in your life. I had my son die on a cross. He paid everything for you that if you believe in him, you can just jump right up here. Just like in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, you can just get right in the water and go, okay, I'll follow. Why? Because this way we'll look at God and go, God, you would forgive him? You'd forgive her just like that? You just shower, you just give him eternal life. Just like you just, you just lay it all out there? I, there's no one that generous. There's no one that forgiving. That's impossible. There's no one that could love that much. And who gets all the glory? God does. And so don't wait until you're good enough because that's a very arrogant statement. And that's all about you. And this is not about you. This is about a God in heaven that says, you don't even understand my love. You don't understand my forgiveness. I'll forgive everything. I paid for it all on the cross. My son paid for everything. And if you want to come to me, you can come to me right now. That's an amazing God we serve. And it's, I am his bondservant. I love being his bondservant. And uh, so we come here and we're going to worship him. Our worship team's going to come up. And, and uh, you don't have to worship him. You know, again, it's one of those things where, you know, those of us who are bondservants of God, we just want to express to God and go, you know what? I love being your kid. I mean, for what I have to sacrifice compared to what I get, this is unreal. I love having you as my God. If any of you need prayer, anyone wants to get baptized, there'll be some pastors, elders up here, um, counselors up at the prayer room. But the rest of us, you guys, let's, let's stand up and let's just, let's just rejoice in the treasure that we found and tell them how excited we are to be his children.